You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Welcome to the 10 o'clock service. Good to see you all. Thank you for having me back. I want to congratulate you on a big groundbreaking coming up July 31st, right? Everybody excited about that? About 20 of you. It's awesome. My birthday that day, I know you didn't plan it on that day, but that's a very exciting birthday present. We're excited for what God is doing here and through you and through your leadership. We're going to be continuing through the life of David today. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 18 and stick something in 1 Samuel 20 as we're going to move through this. We're talking today about David and Jonathan and the special relationship that they formed in their journey. I want to begin with asking you some questions. First of all, what existed before anything existed in Genesis 0? Go ahead and answer. What existed before anything existed, Genesis 0? God. It's always the right answer. You know what I'm saying? Like any question you ask, you God, yes. But in in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we get more information about what that might be. Because in Genesis 1, 26, the Bible says, God says, let us make man in our image. So somewhere there's a plurality, there's an us, there's an our in Genesis 0. Most scholars believe that's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three active in creation. God the Father speaking and giving the word Jesus and the spirit hovering over the deep. So we know that what existed really before anything existed was a circle of relationships. As a matter of fact, before anything ever existed, there was relationship. A circle of relationship. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the course of creating time, God creates a man and he invites this man, Adam, into the relationship of the Trinity. Can you imagine the intimate depth of being invited into the circle of the Trinity in the sense of relationship and perfection and and all that's going on in paradise? The Godhead creates Adam, and they invite him to join him in relationship. As a matter of fact, as God created each day, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. But when he created man, he said, it is what? Very good. But even in the first two chapters of Genesis, before chapter 3 and sin and curse comes into the world... God says there's one thing in paradise. Everything's good. Some things are very good. But there's one thing that is still not good. Before sin, before curse, before tragedy, there's one thing that is not good. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we learn this one thing that is not good is God says it is not good for man to what? Be alone. And we all know that spiritually, but we really know that practically. A single guy is like a mess. You ever notice that? Like they just struggle with a lot of things. They're just str- Matter of fact, of the men who are in the prison system today, it's like 85, almost 90% are single. 
And I think instead of incarcerating people, maybe we should just find them a date. Because there's something about a woman that kind of kind of centers us down. And, 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 and so God says it's not good for men. Matter of fact, when, when, when husbands die at the end of life and there's a woman left, the, the percentage of women who remarry like really small. But the percentage of men who remarry if their wife dies first is like off the charts a lot. Why? Because it's not good for man to be alone. So a circle of relationship exists. God created. One thing is not good before anything has broken in Genesis chapter 3. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. And we learn something very profound in these words. If it's not good for us to be without relationship, without connection, before sin, before curse, before tragedy, how much more is it necessary for us to be in connection and in relationship after sin, after tragedy, after the curse is placed? In 1 Samuel chapter 18, we see a friendship unlike any friendship throughout Scripture. David has just killed Goliath. Saul has tried to get to know who is this young man who has killed this champion and set Israel free. And David says at the end of chapter 17, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. And then chapter 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit up to the soul of David and Jonathan. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him with his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now Jonathan was the oldest son of King Saul. And the oldest son of a king eventually would be what? would be king. So when Jonathan is taking off his robe and his sword and his shield and everything and giving him to David, he's basically saying, I'm not king. I'm giving it to you. I mean, it's one thing to give a buddy 20 bucks, you know, or hey, you want to borrow my car or my weed eater. I'm going to let you be king of the nation. And David went out and he was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 40. While Jonathan could see the hand of God's anointing on David and he knew that God was going to make him the next king, Jonathan decided to become best friends and their souls were knit together and he was going to do everything he could to lift David up to this place of kingship as it would honor God. But Jonathan's father, King Saul, came just the opposite. He knew the same thing, that Saul was the anointed man or that David was the anointed man and he was going to be king. But Saul became jealous and wanted to kill David. So they had a plan. Jonathan said, I want you to know that my dad has changed. I've talked to him, and he's not going to kill you anymore. And David's like, that, that would be nice. Because every time we eat, he starts throwing spears at me, and it just really ruins my appetite. And, and he said, well, 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 but I don't believe you. David said, I don't believe you. He's been trying to kill me for, for years. And Jonathan said, trust me. And so they had a plan. If I say this, and 
You don't show up to the dinner and he's calm and says, that's okay, we'll see you. But if he gets angry and mad and you can see his fury coming back upon you, we'll know that his intentions are still to kill you. And they did that and Saul got angry and he wanted to kill David. So this is the scene as they part because they now know they will probably never see each other again. David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another. David weeping the most. We know David was a man after God's own heart. He was a, he was a very emotional guy. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. What a special relationship. Best friends, soul brothers. In the old days, we might call it blood brothers. They wanted what was best for each other. They had no jealousy. They rooted for each other. They lifted one another up. And as a matter of fact, we know that they made each other better for who they were. Most of us have been on an airplane, and we've been told by a stewardess to turn off our phones because if we don't turn off our phone, the plane cannot run. So we've either turned them off or put them on airplane mode, and then we land to our destination. And as soon as we land, people immediately pull out their phones, turn them back on or turn them off airplane mode. And in that moment, our phone has a little thing up in the left-hand corner typically that says what? Searching. 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 And the moment it locks in, the moment it connects to the internet or whatever service provider you have, the moment it connects, everything loads. And, and the phone's capabilities are now empowered to be all they were designed to be. And through this connection, all of the resources of the world are now at the disposal of the person holding that phone because it was providing the benefit that it was created to provide. That's also true of us as human beings. We were created for something. God created inside of us an internal chip. And that internal chip is walking, is just, just searching, 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 searching for some kind of deep, intimate relationship, for some kind of deep connection. Why? Because it's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for us to try to make life work the way we think life should work. We are hardwired for this. Our entire life, whether we know it or not, whether we desire it or not, we are starving, we are craving, we are searching, searching, searching for intimate relationship, searching for a connection with another, with some other, with many others, several others, a community that will help us overcome difficulties, hurts, failures, joys, celebrate with us, and to help us thrive. We have been created for the power of the other. And we will not become what God has called us to be. All our gifts inside of us, all the, the, the hurts and pains that are inside of us, we need somebody else to fan those to help us become who God has created us to be, the power of the other. Humans need this connection, and our systems are always searching, 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 searching for them. 
By God's grace, Jonathan and David found that. They had a depth of relationship that took them to amazing places. The Bible says their souls were knit together. They found the power of the other in each other. Without Jonathan, let's be honest, without Jonathan, David would not have reached the heights of what God had called him to be. Without Jonathan, David would have never been king. As a matter of fact, without Jonathan, David might be dead, killed by Jonathan's father, King Saul. The power of the other takes you to places you, have ne- you could never go on your own. But to understand the power of the other and what we need to, 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 to thrive, not just survive, we have to understand the categories of relationships. And, 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 and once you understand the categories or the layers of relationships, you'll realize that three of these layers, three of these corners are, are, are devastating and only one type of relationship lifts us up to become all that God has designed us to become. Dr. Henry Cloud has placed these in what he calls corners, the four corners of relationships. And I want to walk through those layers because we are always in one of these layers or corners at any given time. But only one of them will help us grow and and thrive through the power of the other. First category, first corner is corner one relationships. It's disconnection. Disconnection. This is defined as we look at King Saul. He was disconnected from himself. He was disconnected from God. He was disconnected from David. His own son left his loyalty from his father and went to David. His daughter Michael left her father and went to David. David took everything that man had, man. I didn't like, he didn't like him. But Saul was disconnected. Corner one, disconnection. True connection always means being emotionally and and functionally invested in other people. It's a give and receive dynamic. And it comes from the word intimacy. Intimacy is what we had in Genesis 1 and 2. Intimacy is what we will have again in Revelation 21 and 22. But we live in the middle in the curse. Intimacy is defined by itself, by the word itself. In, to, me, see. Into me see, intimacy. And the only way you can see into me, unless you have Superman x-ray vision, is for me to tell you what's going on inside of me. And for you to tell me what's going on inside of you. But disconnected people cannot do that. As a matter of fact, the full definition of intimacy is the giving and receiving of love without walls or barriers. Wouldn't that be awesome? To be able to freely give and receive love without any walls or any barriers. We won't meet too many people who walk in that kind of freedom. There's some hurt, there's some barrier, there's some unforgiveness, there's some some issue going on in their life, unresolved conflicts. The giving and receiving without walls or barriers. And, And disconnection shows that there is a barrier, there is a blockage between either the giving of love or the receiving of love or both and it leads us to relationships that are disconnected and if you are disconnected or you're in a relationship with a disconnected person you are probably in a very lonely place 
You feel unheard. You feel misunderstood. You are unable to truly feel known or to know someone else. You may appear to have no feelings at all and you try to use that as no feelings and to have no needs, doing your best not to display any needs. You may even care about other people's needs, but you are disconnected from your own needs. People in a relationship with a disconnected person tend to lose heart and they tend to withdraw. If you find yourself in a situation where there's absolutely nowhere you can be vulnerable, nowhere you can connect to a network of people for energy, support, safety, downloading into each other, then something is wrong. You are disconnected. And you are not, and you will not thrive Allowing your heart, that internal chip that's yelling, searching, 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 to try to close that off, block it off, put up the wall, and stay disconnected. Let me ask you a couple questions. Do you have some place where you can get 100% honest and vulnerable as to what you are going through in your struggles, in your conflicts, in your needs, in your weaknesses, as a job, parent, all of that. Is there some place? Second question. Do you have anyone or any group of people who are totally committed to your growth and well-being as a person, a parent, a spouse, or a follower of Jesus? So do you have some place where you can be 100% vulnerable, transparent, and honest? And do you have somebody that's pouring into your life to help you be the best you can be, the power of the other? Without those, we will never become who God has wired us fully to become. Second relationship is the bad connection. Corner two is the bad connection. In its simplest form, it's just being in a relationship with someone that makes you feel what? Bad. Remember, we're searching, 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 searching. And in corner two, it's as if the connecting chip inside of us makes a calculation that a bad relationship is better than no relationship. We got some folks who got it, right? The searching, searching, searching chip says, I would rather be in a bad relationship than no relationship. I mean, we all remember those folks in high school and college, right? I mean, they were always dating the wrong person. Remember, remember that person? If it was you, I'm, I'm sorry, but perhaps you've come out of that. But, but you know, the one that we go, he just, he just treats me so bad. He treats me so bad. He's so mean. He's cheated on me three times. Why don't you break up with him? But he's so nice. He's so nice. He's so kind. He said he was sorry, and I think he meant it this time. He's sorry. Yeah, he's sorry, all right. My wife is the coach of cheerleaders at our school, and 14 cheerleaders were at our house Friday night for a sleepover. I'm so thankful I had no access to weaponry <laughs> of any kind. But I mean, the 14 girls, and like two of them were crying. He's just treating me so bad. And I'm in another room. I'm like, oh, gosh, somebody take a screwdriver and drive it through my temple, please. Break up with him. But he's just so nice. Sometimes when he's good, he's good. He's so nice. He's a, I can't take it. Why? 
Why? Because for some, a bad relationship is better than no relationship. It's so sad. We are searching, 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 searching. So many people get into bad relationships. And it doesn't have to be a connection with a bad or abusive person, although it might be. It's simply a connection preoccupation or a pull toward a person who has the effect of making you feel bad or making you feel less than or making you feel not good enough or making you feel inferior or defective or not measuring up in some way. They make you feel something is wrong with you. Somehow this person or persons have come to have the power in your life of making you feel bad. For David, this was Eliab in 1 Samuel 17 when he came to the lions bringing food uh, when they were fighting, uh, not really fighting Goliath, but when they were standing there scared of Goliath, David brings food and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And his oldest brother Eliab says to him, what are you doing here, you wicked boy? I know your heart. You're just trying to stir up trouble. And David's, David's response to that tells us everything. Now remember, Eliab watched David be anointed king. Older brothers don't want the younger brother to be anointed king. Amen, older brothers? Oh, we don't have any older brothers in here? All right, anyway. And David responds to his older brother, Now what have I done? And when I read that, I was like, that's all I need to know. Because when somebody says, now what have I done? We know it's not what? It's not the first time. Eliab had a way of making David just feel bad. So it could be a family member like it was for David. It could be a friend. It could be a boss. It could be a neighbor. It could be a coworker. But the common ingredient is that they have the power to make you feel bad. People are in friendships now with people or relationships with people that just make them feel bad. Why? Had they come to the conclusion that being in a bad relationship is better than no relationship? Corner three. Corner three is the seductively false good connection. That sounds like an oxymoron. The seductively false good connection. It's a pseudo feel-good relationship. Now, in this relationship, remember Genesis 2.18, it's not good for humans to be alone. No one wants to feel isolated. No one wants to feel bad. No one wants to feel alone. No one wants to feel inadequate. So at some point, the connection chip that's inside of us, searching, 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 says, enough of this. I don't want to feel bad. I want to feel good. I want to feel good. Tired of feeling bad. So it finds something to connect with that makes them feel good. Corner two leaves you feeling bad. Corner three leaves you feeling just the opposite. It leaves you feeling good. And sometimes really good. As a matter of fact, if it didn't feel good, we wouldn't connect to it. It comes in many forms. The addiction... Affair, attachment to promotions, awards, positive results, 
the next acquisition, next big tech product launch, accolades, affirmation, food, sex, new car, whatever it is, it makes you feel good. But it's all an attempt to soothe the soul. To soothe the soul. And while it makes us feel good temporarily, it will not make us feel good long term. It's destructive. It's destructive. You see, the problem is that painkillers, and that's what all of these things are, painkillers may make you feel better for a moment, but they cannot cure the disease. And that's that internal chip that just keeps going searching, searching, searching. I thought I found it. It felt good. Why, is my, why am I still searching? Because searching is looking for something real, authentic, that brings glory to God. Searching. It's still searching. It may ease the pain temporarily and superficially make you feel better. But ultimately, it's going to lead to a big crash. It's going to hurt a lot of people and make relationship and connection more difficult. This is David and Bathsheba. Fast forward a few years. David wanting to feel good, the strains of kingship weighing on him, things going difficult, his, his family uh, having difficult problems in them, and David finds a place where he can feel good in an illicit relationship. The only corner that is a healthy corner is corner four. True, authentic connection. True connection. This is David and Jonathan. A true, real connection is one in which you can be your whole self, the real, authentic you, a relationship to which you can bring your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, and all your passions. Both parties in the relationship are holy and fully present. They are known, they are understood, they create safety, and they are both mutually invested. In what each truly thinks, what each truly feels, what each truly believes, what each truly fears and needs can be shared safely. That's what the chip is calling for every day of your life. Searching, searching, searching. I'm searching for that. Intimacy, the giving and receiving of love with no walls and no barriers to be known at its deepest and fullest sense. Every human being needs this kind of connection to thrive. Every human being. David and Jonathan had this. And we can think, well, if we just have it with Jesus, that will be enough. But remember in Genesis 2, before sin entered the world, Adam was in a full relationship with the, with the Trinity, but God still said, it's, it's not good for people to be alone. To not have a human connection. And while Jesus is the foundation and necessary, God is the one who knit their heart. They needed the power of another, a relationship. 
Remember, David was a man after God's own heart, but he still needed a Jonathan to thrive. You say, wow, how do I get there? I'm not going to have it with my spouse. I've tried. Don't give up hope. Single people think if they just get married, they'll have it. And married people say, gee, don't count on it. And we are left searching, 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 searching. So how do we go? How do we move into that? It begins just as everything begins. And I can go into every step today, but the first step is the first step, and it's the only step, and it's the only way to move in here. And it all begins with humbly and honestly embracing this need and reaching out to the power of the other. See, you and I can know, because we know Scripture, that every human being is the same in this area. Every human being has that internal chip that's yelling, searching, searching, searching. And every time somebody says, I don't need that, I don't need that kind of relationship, I don't need that, we know they're lying. Why? Because Scripture says they need it. We need it. We need it. We were created for it. We were created for relationship, and we were created in the Trinity out of relationship. And it begins with us just being honest, humbly being honest. I need this kind of relationship. I need a brother to walk with. I need a disciple of Jesus to pour into me because I'm stuck. I'm not going to be who I need to be. I need somebody to walk with me. I need somebody to share all of my heart with. I would love for it to be my spouse. I would love for it to be a friend. I would love, but I've got to have it. Why? Searching, 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 searching. And when we admit it, and we embrace this need, we take the step necessary to move forward. You know, you can never help people who don't need it. I live in the counseling world a whole lot. And if somebody comes to see me and I say, so tell me what's going on. What's, what seems to be the problem? Ah, nothing. Oh, well, let's close in prayer and I'll save you a hundred bucks. You see, everything begins with need. I can tell you that whatever the problem is in your marriage, somebody needs something that's not being met. It's not really complicated. They may or may not have shared it, may or may not have felt safe enough to share it. Even our salvation with Jesus Christ begins with what? Need. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I'm lost. I want to be found. I'm dead. I want to be alive. Need. Humbly and being honest with where I am and the need that I have. The healthiest people in the world are those who are not afraid to say, I need help. I need help. The disconnected folks don't need anything. I'm fine. Leave me alone. I don't need anybody but me. Disconnected. Corner one. You realize there are 41 another's in the New Testament? Love one another, care for one another, carry one another's burdens, encourage one another, go to church with one another, pray for one another. You know what I'm saying? 41 others. Why? Why so many one another's? Because we need each other. 
As a matter of fact, David and Jonathan's relationship is really an Old Testament picture of the type of relationships we're supposed to have in the New Testament church. Depth. Caring for one another. But many of us are still searching, searching, searching. So where are you? Which corner are you in on any given day? Where do you land in all of this? I want to give you just a few warning signs to help you know if you're moving toward one of these first three instead of the fourth. Warning, warning sign one. If you find yourself heading to corner one as a way to avoid conflict and avoid intimacy, moving towards isolation, you are disconnected and you're moving toward more disconnection. If you see somebody moving that way, they're moving toward disconnection. It will not be healthy. They will not find God in quarter one. They'll not find intimacy. Warning two, if you are hearing negative voices in your head that you're not good enough, you don't measure up, you don't matter, you don't have what it takes, everybody's going to reject me, a fear of disapproval, a fear of falling short, a fear of displeasing someone, you are in corner two and you're probably losing energy and feeling really bad. Ultimately, depression comes at the end of this. People making you feel bad. I just beating myself up. Then I begin to believe it. I lose energy. And as I lose energy, good energy in my life, God energy in my life, I get more and more in the darkness. And before long, somebody says you're depressed. Corner two. And then warning three. If you have a pull to find something to make you feel good, if you are itching for comfort in an illicit relationship, addictive substances, or other compulsive behaviors, you know you are at risk of being stuck at best or headed for a big crash at worst. And it usually comes. Don't trust anything. Listen to this. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Don't trust anything that feels good if it isn't something you'd want your spouse, your family, your close friends, your colleagues, your church pastors, or even God to know about. And just be reminded God does know about it. Or if it doesn't fulfill you in and of itself, meaning that if you need more of it again and again to, to find gratification, it's probably more addicting than it is fulfilling and nourishing. Whenever any of these warning signs start to come up in your life, seek, run, pursue, corner four relationships at all costs. Run toward them. Run to somebody. Share with somebody. Find a friend. Find a pastor. Find a small group leader. Find someone you can be honest with about what you need and what's going on. Because of Jonathan and David Four's corner four relationship, David's life was saved multiple times. They were not alone. David had someone to share his fears and disappointment with, and he reached his full potential that God was wanting him to be and calling him to be. Fast forward again to Bathsheba. Jonathan dies in a couple chapters in 1 Samuel. 
And now David is alone. He's trying to be king. He's trying to be a husband. He's trying to be a father. And the pressure's just killing him. He's got no one in a corner for a relationship anymore. And we know David bites. And tragedy comes. The question is, what's your next step to get to a corner for a relationship? Not big giant leaps, just what's the next step? If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and become a, a Jesus follower, that's first because no possibility of having a corner for relationship apart from Jesus Christ. He is the glue that makes that happen and connects people's spirit with other people's spirit and it's the spirit of God inside of them. So begin, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, today you can pray and pray that I need Jesus, I don't have him, I'm lost in my sins and I need the blood of Jesus to Forgive me, and I need to be in relationship with him. That's where it begins. There's a prayer and care room right outside this room, over to the left as you walk out. And there'll be somebody there to help you talk through that decision and commitment to be a Jesus follower. Maybe you're a nominal Jesus follower, and it's time you lay some things down and pick some things up and get serious, get, get, get deeper in your intimate relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's to get in a small group. Because ultimately small groups are created scripturally in the New Testament to develop these kind of corner four relationships of giving and receiving of love, praying for one another, walking with one another through good times by celebrating, through difficult times by praying, encouraging, and being supportive. What's your next step? Express your need now. Because you and I cannot thrive without the power of the other. Jesus and human beings. You weren't created for that life. You weren't created to live life alone. You and I were created for relationship. The power of the other. Created in relationship, by relationship, for relationship. And life does not work apart from it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time and this day and for this opportunity to walk in relationship with you, our God, our Master, Yahweh, the true corner for relationship of true connection. Lord, in a room this size, I know there are several corner one relations. They're just disconnected, disconnected from their self, Disconnected from you, disconnected if they're married from their spouse or friends. Lord, I know there are people in relationships that are just making them feel bad. They're with people that they just shouldn't be around. They're just drawing out energy from them that they don't have. There are some here, Lord, that are flirting with illicit relationships. Looking at things they shouldn't look at, tasting, drinking. All kinds of stuff, Lord, is trying to fill that internal chip, but is bringing them to a place of a crash. I pray for your grace to fall on them today. I pray that they would have the courage to stand and share what's going on in their life today. Both have the wisdom and the humility 
to express their need and the courage to express it to someone. I pray that would be true. If they do not know Jesus Christ, I pray today would be their day. They would walk through these doors and find a counselor in the care and prayer room and give their heart to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You make it possible for us to have corner four relationships with you and others so that we might become the people you have created us to be receiving all the resources that we need to be who you want us to be. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.